Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Three, two, one. But I've worked it out. I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet. Welcome in, everybody. Episode 665 of the podcast. It's the America. The Air Tour Sports Podcast presented by Bedford Sportsbook. It is Monday, February 13th. 2023 people, I hope everybody's doing well. I hope everybody is having a great day, and I hope everybody's ready for what should be a fun Monday episode of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. By the way, guys and girls, 13th, tomorrow's Valentine's Day. If you're listening, make sure to get your flowers, your cards, your gifts, your chocolates for your loved ones. But that's neither here nor there. Here's what you need to know about today's show. Let's get into it. Listen, we're recording right after the Super Bowl. Super Bowl 57, Chiefs beat the Eagles 38-35. We're going to discuss this game from all angles. Did the Chiefs get lucky? Did the Eagles get screwed? All of the different factors, we're going to talk about it all. A hundred million of you watched this game. So I would be remiss if I didn't open the show with the game that literally all of you watched on Sunday night. From there, we'll talk a little college hoops. Alabama smacks Auburn in Auburn. Is Alabama in the middle of a historic season, a potentially historically great season? We'll discuss that. From there, we'll continue the conversation. We'll talk a little bit about the controversial Duke-Virginia ending. Kentucky, are they headed to the NIT? Number one, Purdue loses. A lot of stuff. Loaded show. Busy show. A lot to talk about on this Monday. But with that said, let's get to the topic of the day. And the topic of the day, well, I'm recording here late Sunday when Super Bowl 57 ended. The Chiefs beat the Eagles 38 to 35 in Arizona. And I know what some of you are going to say. Oh, Torres, this game was marred forever and it was terrible and the refs ruined the game. First of all, even if the refs, even if you disagree with the call late, let me just say this. This was a great Super Bowl. I'm old enough to remember that Rams uh, Patriots Super Bowl about four or five years ago. Final score was like 17 to six. It was unwatchable. I'm old enough to remember the Tampa win over Kansas City two years ago when Kansas City could not move the ball. So don't tell me this was a terrible game. Don't tell me this was awful. Don't tell me it was ruined by the refs. But it was a great game. KC wins 38-35. 
Let's get to the final play, not the final play, but the most important play in this game. The play late as James Bradbury is called for a pass interference call against the Kansas City Chiefs. And I think everybody knows the situation, but let me just give a little bit of context. Late in the game, Philadelphia, uh, it's a tie game. We're under the two-minute warning, third and long for the Kansas City Chiefs. Patrick Mahomes drops back. He throws the ball deep to Juju Smith-Schuster into the end zone. We It appears as though it's an incomplete. It appears as though Kansas City is going to have to kick the field goal. And it appears as though Philadelphia is going to get the ball with about a minute 45 left to see if they can potentially win the game, assuming that Kansas City kicks the field goal to go ahead. Instead, the refs call a pass interference. Instead, Kansas City is able to run down the clock. And instead, from there, Casey does, in fact, run down the clock. Harrison Butker kicks the game-winning field goal. Kansas City wins. The confetti falls on Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid and Travis Kelsey. And Kansas City fans are really, really, really happy. And Philadelphia fans and basically anybody who is not a Kansas City fan is really upset. But let me just say this. Let me explain I what, what I would say. What I would say about that whole situation at the end of the game is what I say very often about things in sports. Two things in life can be true with one situation. What is that? One, didn't love the call. Wish it wasn't made. By the way, it is worth noting. I'm recording here after the game. James Bradbury in the Eagles locker room acknowledged, yeah, I kind of held him, and I was hoping the refs wouldn't see it. So let's not throw a pity party for Philadelphia here. It was a controversial call. It was probably the right call on the field. Now, in general, am I a let the players decide it on on the field or the court? Absolutely. By the way, we're going to talk about the refs here in a little bit with Duke and Virginia on Saturday. But I bring it up to say, was it the right call? Probably. Could it have been avoided? Maybe. Did it lose Philadelphia the game? By technicality, maybe, but that's not to me what lost Philadelphia the game. You know when I believe that Philadelphia lost this game? It wasn't the hold on James Bradbury in the defensive backfield. Where I believe Philadelphia actually lost the game, and this is more of a metaphorical than a literal, but I believe that Philadelphia actually lost the game at the end of the third quarter. And let me explain. If you watch this game, and I know all of you guys and girls did, you were at your friend's house, your family's house, your parents' house, your kid's house, whatever, wherever you're watching this game, maybe you're watching on your phone at the DMV. I don't know where you're watching this game. By the way, if the DMV is open at 7.30 on a Sunday, God bless them. But that's neither here nor there. If you're watching this game, and if you have any fundamental understanding of football, and I'm not claiming to be Joe Montana understanding all of the nuances. But what was clear was this. Philadelphia, their game plan on Sunday night was basically the game plan that they've implemented all season. We are going to control the trenches. We're going to control the line of scrimmage. We're going to be aggressive on third and fourth downs. Third down is basically second down to us. We're going to go for it. We're going to convert. We're going to keep the other team off the field. And we're going to win games by beating the crap out of you along the line of scrimmage. And so why do I bring it up? Because first of all, to their credit, Philadelphia implemented that scheme perfectly in this game. 
Jalen Hurts was awesome, okay? First half, second half, whatever. But if you watch this game, Patrick Mahomes was basically on a milk carton the entire first half. Philadelphia had the ball. They controlled the line of scrimmage. They controlled the game. They were up. Kick a field goal to go into halftime up 24 to 21. Second half starts. KC gets the ball back. Remember, they deferred on the kickoff. Get the ball back and immediately score. So Philadelphia was up 24 to 21. KC immediately scores a touchdown to go. And, and Philadelphia is now up 24 to 21. But let me just say this. When anybody wants to tell you, and most of you guys and girls, you're driving into the office, you're at the gym, you're going to be talking to people that watch this game. Everyone's going to say that defensive hold cost Philadelphia the game. You know what I believe cost Philadelphia the game? I believe it was the possession after Kansas City cut the lead to 24 to 21 that cost Philadelphia the game. Let me explain. I just said it. Philadelphia's entire game plan. Beat you up, control the line of scrimmage, get ahead, stay ahead, stay one score ahead. So what happened? They're up 24 to 14 in halftime. Kansas City scores immediately after. And then what happened from there? Philadelphia gets the ball back. Philadelphia literally beats the crap out of Kansas City at the line of scrimmage. They spend essentially the entire third quarter with the ball. They get the ball back up 24-21. 17 play drive, seven minutes and 45 seconds. The longest drive in the history of the Super Bowl. 17 plays, seven minutes, 45 seconds. And it results, and they're up by three at this point. It results in Philadelphia kicking a field goal. And I'm not saying they should have gone for it on fourth down. I'm not saying they made the wrong the wrong decision. But that was like one of those light bulb moments, right? We all have those light bulb moments in life where something goes off on top of our head where we say, oh my goodness, I cannot believe that just happened. Because when I think about this game, that was the moment that I said, oh, Kansas City's probably going to win this game. Because when you're up 24 to 14 and then they score and you're up 24 to 21 and you spend the entire third quarter driving the length of the field, only to settle for a field goal when your entire game plan is keep the ball out of Patrick Mahomes' hands, win the game along the line of scrimmage, win the game in the trenches, win the game with the clock, and then you settle for a field goal? I'm sorry, but I got zero sympathy. You go up six there as opposed to 10, it's a completely different ball game. And so what ends up happening, they go up six, KC scores from there, then Philadelphia scores, then KC scores, and they end up winning the game. And so it's hard for me to feel bad for Philadelphia when their entire game plan, and frankly, the entire season, basically came down to, we're going to beat you up on the line of scrimmage, we're going to control the clock, and we're going to stay one score ahead of you the entire game. Well, that only works if you actually stay one score ahead. Not if you settle for a field goal late in the third quarter to go up six points And you know that the other team has Patrick Mahomes. So that to me is what cost Philadelphia the game. Not a late hold from James Bradbury. And Kansas City is in fact your Super Bowl champs. So congrats to Kansas City. Second time in four years that they won the Super Bowl. And I do have a couple other thoughts on the game. Outside of the fact that I don't think that James Bradbury play cost them the Super Bowl. I actually think it was late in the third quarter. When you had a chance to go up by more than six. You're up by three. 
and you settle for the field goal. A couple things. First of all, Jalen Hurts was incredible, man. And, and I'll say this. I'll, I'll just be blunt. I can't speak for you guys and girls. I was amazed. Like, we all know the Jalen Hurts story. We all get that he was benched in a national championship game. But the fact that, like, during the Super Bowl, they were just like, oh, yeah, remember that time we got benched at Alabama and Tua came in and, and replaced him? I was kind of amazed that they still talked about that. But it's worth noting. Jalen Hurts was awesome in this game. Now, I know he had the fumble recovery for a touchdown. Nick Bolton gets the touchdown. But Jalen Hurts, I hope that we have just moved past any conversation about what happened in Alabama because it's irrelevant at this point. Goes to Oklahoma, wins the Heisman. Uh, Heisman. He competes for a Heisman Trophy. I think he finished in second that year to Joe Burrow in 2019. Second, third, fourth, doesn't matter. Joe Burrow was incredible, by the way. But goes to Oklahoma, proves he's a starter, Heisman Trophy finalist, goes to Philadelphia where nobody wanted him. Remember, the fans booed because the fans were like, we have Carson Wentz. Don't waste a pick on a quarterback. Like, I hope that we're done with the Jalen Hurts narrative. I hope we're done with the, well, remember what happened in Alabama? Yeah, we all remember what happened in Alabama. That was like seven chapters of his story ago. And now let's just enjoy him for who he is. Elite quarterback. He was awesome. 300 plus yards passing on Sunday night. One touchdown pass. One rushing touchdown. He was awesome. From there, let me also say this. Credit Patrick Mahomes. Anyone who listens to this show knows I've had my love affair with Patrick Mahomes, and is he that great, or is he overrated? Is he a media creation? He's good, but is he that great? No, he's legitimately awesome. And when his team needed him, what stuck out to me, think about that Super Bowl. The story was Philadelphia controlling the line of scrimmage, Philadelphia controlling the clock, but every time Kansas City needed Patrick Mahomes to make a play, he did. They had four possessions in the second half. They scored on all four possessions. If they don't score on each and every possession, they do not win the game. And remember, they scored on each and every possession after he hurt that ankle. Now, what happened in the locker room at halftime to that ankle? Either Kansas City has the best masseuse that's ever lived, or there was something going on there that we probably don't want to know about. But listen, this is football. It's the NFL. I don't. I, I can't speak for everybody. I don't really care. You do what you got to do to play. Patrick Mahomes said many times he was not going to miss this game for anything. But listen, he is in the middle of just an insane start to his his career, right? Like, just think about the, the start to his career. We're now five years into the Patrick Mahomes experience as a quarterback. Not even a half a decade. Literally half a decade, just under. Five years as a starter. Five AFC championship games. This is now his third appearance in the Super Bowl and his second Super Bowl win. So there is another time to discuss what it all means and all this and all that. But I'll just tell you, we just lost Tom Brady from the NFL. All those Super Bowls, all those Super Bowl appearances. I don't know if Patrick Mahomes will ever catch him, but man, is he off to a great start. Listen, we're not going to do like the, this guy's the GOAT and this is what it means. Like, there's another time for that. You guys and girls can can find that conversation somewhere else. Somebody is probably having that right now. Somebody is probably already trying to compare Patrick Mahomes to Tom Brady. I'm not going to do it. Maybe that makes me bad at my job. But I'm just here to say this guy is lining up for a potential historic career. And I've been a critic and I've been a doubter. 
But what he has done the last two weeks, last two games, last three weeks, I guess, two games, beating Joe Burrow on one ankle, winning the Super Bowl with whatever happened, guy is incredible. Couple other thoughts before we get out of here, before we get to some college hoops. One, I'm just going to say it. I don't know if you guys or girls agree. Rihanna was incredible, though. Rihanna was amazing. I just want to quickly talk about the Super Bowl halftime performance. First of all, we all saw Rihanna's. Um, how do I say this delicately? I think we all assume that she is carrying. So, congrats to her because that. Like, you talk about amazing performances. Love her songs. Love her this. Love her that. Doing that performance while pregnant. I believe her uh, publicist has confirmed that she is, in fact, pregnant. That's unbelievable. But what I would also say is outside of that, she is a great performer. I loved everything that she did on Sunday night. Uh, I thought it was one of the better Super Bowl performances that I've ever seen. Now, I will also readily admit, I've admitted on the show many times, I'm in my mid to late 30s at this point. So the fact that Rihanna, and I remember, by the way, Umbrella, Ella, Ella, A. Like, remember that song? That was 2007. I was still in college. That was a long time ago. That's now 16 years ago. The fact that we had Eminem and Dr. Dre last year, the fact that we had Rihanna this year, it's really cool that they're performing at the Super Bowl. It's also really sad because that means that I'm old enough to be old enough for the people of my generation to be performing at the Super Bowl. So shout out to Rihanna. You were incredible. Congrats to you. Congrats to your family on obviously a, a new addition that we were not expecting when the Super Bowl started. But Rihanna was awesome. The game was awesome. And I think that's really it. I think that's really it in terms of Super Bowl reaction again. I know everybody wants to freak out about the pass interference call, and I'm not saying it was the perfect call at the perfect time. But Philadelphia, if your game plan is, if your game plan is, we are going to be aggressive, we're going to control the line of scrimmage, and we are not going to give the ball to Patrick Mahomes, you got to see that through. The fact that you kicked a field goal to go up six late in the third quarter, it felt disastrous, and it felt like a moment in time. That probably cost you the game. Congrats to the Kansas City Chiefs. This is what we're going to do. We're going to take a quick break, and when I come back, we're going to toss some college hoops. Alabama beats Auburn, and I'm just going to tell you, I think Alabama's in the midst of a historic season, potentially. I'll explain why. Talk about the Duke-Virginia controversial ending. We will talk about the Kentucky situation. Are they headed to the NIT? Purdue loses. Creighton beats UConn. We're going to talk about it all. Take a quick break. Be right back. All right, we're getting back to the show in a minute. But before we do, I want to welcome back our presenting sponsor, Betfred Sportsbook and the Betfred Sportsbook app. By now, you know Betfred's story. Started in 1967 in the UK. Over 1,600 shops in the UK have come to the United States and made a major splash. They are the presenting sponsor of the Cincinnati Bengals, Colorado Rockies, Denver Broncos. And what I love about working with Betfred, nobody does more for their customers than Betfred does. Okay. I've told you before, but I'm going to keep telling you Cincinnati Bengals games, that Betfred suite is rocking. They had a New Year's Eve into New Year's Day party for the launch of sports betting in the state of Ohio. Shout out to all of you who were there. 
Obviously, beyond that, there is the Denver Broncos VIP tailgates. We have sent listeners of this show to those tailgates. Colorado Rockies, first pitch at those games. Betfred does more for their customers than anybody, and here is what they are doing. For listeners of the Aaron Torres podcast, okay, so what you got to do, bet 50 on any game, and new users, how about this, get up to $1,000 in free bets. There are no catches. There are no gimmicks. Here's what you need to know. Bet 50 on any game, you get automatically $111 in free bets. But beyond that, you get $200 insurance on your first five weeks as a Betfred customer. So you decided, hey, I'm going to bet this big game, 100 bucks, 200 bucks, whatever. You end up losing it. They're going to insure you for that game. So up to five weeks, up to $200 plus $111 for signing up for Betfred today. You're going to want to do it. Download the Betfred Sportsbook app. Tell them Torres sent you. Thank you to our presenting sponsor, the Betfred Sportsbook. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time to take your body care routine to the next level. Introducing Osea's bestseller body care set, the perfect companion for your summer travels. This four-piece kit transforms dry skin to silky, soft, and glowing. It features travel sizes of Osea's best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil and Body Butter, clinically proven to improve skin elasticity, along with their anti-aging body balm and salts-of-the-earth body scrub. And to top it off, it's packed in a vegan leather bag, making it a must-have for all your summer adventures. Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Treat yourself to glowing, healthy skin this summer with clean vegan skincare and body care from Osea. Right now, you can get the best seller's body care set valued at $78 for 33% off. Use code SUMMER to save an additional 10%. That's an additional 10% off at OCEAMalibu.com code SUMMER. All right, everybody! I am back. Good to be back. Good to be back. I uh, do want to switch gears, and I want to get to some of the, the, the college hoop stuff from the weekend, and we'll get to all the results momentarily. Uh, that crazy Duke finish. Never thought I would defend Duke against the refs, but that's exactly what I'm about to do. Um, Kentucky does lose again. We'll talk about that. Some of the other stuff, Creighton, UConn, UCLA dominating uh, Oregon. But where I want to start is in what was probably, frankly, the most high-profile game of the weekend, Alabama at Auburn. Why is it the most high-profile weekend? Most high-profile game of the weekend? Well, it was because College Game Day was there. College Game Day, you can like Jay Billis, Seth Greenberg, whoever, but when they show up to your town, it means that that game matters. And that game did matter, and it was a big one, and it was an important one. 
but it was one that had a result, much like pretty much every other game that Alabama has played, certainly in SEC play this year. As Alabama came in as about a four-point favorite in the Betfred Sportsbook, they win going away 77-69. And with the win, Alabama is now, how about this, 21-3 and overall. They are 12-0 and in SEC play. They are winning SEC games by an average of 21 points. And so there's been a theory that I've been kind of chewing on here for the last couple of weeks as I've watched Alabama, and that's this. This is a year that all season long we have said there are no historically great teams in college basketball this year. Well, here's my question. Are we sure there isn't one, and are we sure that it's not the Alabama Crimson Tide? I know what you're saying. Torres, you're crazy. You're out of your mind. You don't know what you're talking about. And maybe I don't, and maybe I'll be proven dead wrong on this, but you come here for sports opinions, and I want to give one because I do think as I explain the Alabama situation, I think there might be somebody that say, wow, that team is actually a lot better than I thought. And so let's start with Saturday, because listen, if this was just another win in a season for Alabama, I don't know that I'd be necessarily like, like jumping into this one full speed ahead. But this is one where in theory, this is a game that Alabama should have had trouble. And let me explain why. Alabama's a really good team. We'll get into them in a minute. But this was a game in one of the most hostile road environments in college basketball, Neville Arena, Auburn, Alabama. It has become a notoriously tough place to play since Bruce Pearl got there. That is why Alabama was probably about a four-point favorite in the Betfred Sportsbook was because we thought the home court would matter. It's also worth noting that Auburn on paper should have been a really, really, really tough matchup for Alabama. You look at this Alabama team. They're really good across the board. We're going to get to them in a minute. But how about this on Auburn? Auburn came into this game. Are you ready for this? They Auburn came into this game ranked in the top 20 nationally in field goal percentage defense. They came into the game in the top 10 nationally in three-point defense and top 10 nationally in block shots. And so I never said that I thought Auburn would necessarily win this game because I didn't know if they had enough offense. But I said, you look at the way they defend. You look at the home court. This is a game that Alabama can lose. Just one problem. You know all those defensive concerns I had and can Alabama put the ball in the basket? How about this? They shot 63% from the field in the first half, put up 37 points on the road, one of the toughest venues in college basketball in a, in a game against an elite defensive team. They finished the game shooting 59% from the field on the road against Auburn. And as I was watching this game, I was sitting there thinking two things. One, as good as they are, we are not appreciating Alabama for how good they, can, they, how good they are this season. But two, is there a single team in college basketball? Is there a single team in college basketball that could have gone into Auburn against that specific Auburn team on Saturday afternoon and done what Alabama did? I don't think that there was, that there is. You think about some of the teams even that Auburn has played this year at home. Arkansas, who I know they took a loss, and I, my mentions were filled up. Oh, Torres, big pig invasion, this. Arkansas is a good team. Arkansas went into Auburn and shot 34% from the field against this Auburn team. How about this? Tennessee, I, and I know Tennessee's got its issues, but they put up 80-plus points on Saturday. Tennessee shot 27% from the field against this Auburn team. Alabama shoots 59% in the win. And so when you talk about this Alabama team, it comes back to what I've told you for months now. This Alabama team is really good, and it's for more than you think. I think everybody thinks in 2023, Nate Oates, all they want to talk about is the offense. And the offense is great. The offense is phenomenal, right? Because, again, 
people in the media and I, myself, I include myself in, in this in some cases, I try to look kind of beyond the narrative, right? It, we have a narrative. Is it true or not? And I've said for weeks on Alabama, I think that the narrative on Alabama is misguided at best. I think because the offense is so good, because the offense is so good, this is a team that doesn't get enough credit for how good their defense is. So, so we think about Nate Oates, we think about Alabama, and we think about the fact that right now they rank number three in the country in scoring. Behind only two teams, Gonzaga and Oral Roberts. Okay, I believe it was Gonzaga and Oral Roberts. I looked it up earlier. I'm forgetting who was actually in front of them. I know Gonzaga was one. But because we focus so much on the offense, here's what we don't realize. And I have the stats right in front of me, so forgive me, because I wrote them down, and now I have lost them. Alabama, and I'm looking at the stats right now, so forgive me. Can you hear the paper crinkling if you're listening on podcast? They're number three nationally in field goal percentage defense. So everyone focuses on the offense. Number three nationally in field goal percentage defense. How about this? Number two in the country in three-point defense. They're number 21 in total rebounding, and they're number 17 nationally in block shots. And so just think about that Alabama team. Everybody wants to focus on the offense. If you're top five nationally in scoring, but also field goal percentage defense, three-point percentage defense, you're a top 25 nationally rebounding team and a top 15 nationally or whatever it was block shots team. That is an elite team across the board. And that's why I think we need to start talking about them as a potentially historically great team. This isn't just about the offense. They're great on defense. They're great at the rim. They're great blocking shots. And we have the numbers to start backing up. This team might be better historically than we've given them credit for. I saw this stat. It blew me away. So coming into this game, Alabama was beating SEC opponents by an average of 22 points per game through their first 11 SEC games prior to Saturday. That was the most of any team in any power conference since the 1980-81 season. So we're talking about 42 years that a team has beaten opponents as convincingly through 11 SEC games or 11 conference games as Alabama. You know who number two on that list was? The 1995-96 Kentucky Wildcats considered the greatest team in the history of modern college basketball. Look him up if you don't know him. Rick Pitino was the head coach. Uh, Ron Mercer was on that team. Tony Delk, Walter McCarty, my buddy Cam Mills, on and on and on. The team that's number three behind them, the 98-99 Duke Blue Devils, who were by far the best team in the country that year. Oh, until they ran into the UConn Huskies in the national championship game and lost. But why I bring it up, the team... The, Alabama is beating teams in the same way that the team that we consider the greatest team in the history of modern college basketball, the 96, 95, 96 Kentucky Wildcats did. And the same with the 98, 99 Duke Blue Devils, who are widely regarded as one of the best teams in college basketball, not to win a national championship. Well, now through 12 games, they're winning by an average of 21 points per game. And I saw this stat credit Gary Parrish from CBS Sports. He's actually been on this podcast a few times. Nice guy. I don't know him well but I respect his work. Gary Paris put out this stat. Alabama's beating their first 12 SEC opponents by an average of 21 points per game. How about this? That 2015 Kentucky Wildcats team that entered the Final Four undefeated, they only beat, they only, I'm using only in air quotes, beat SEC opponents through 12 games by an average of 15. And so you look at some of the final results for this Alabama team, it's absurd. They beat Vanderbilt by 47 points this year. They beat LSU by 40. They beat Florida by 29 and Kentucky by 28 points. 
They have four wins in SEC play by 28 points or more. That's absurd. And by the way, when we talk about Kentucky, I still think they're making the NCAA tournament. But Florida's a French bubble team. Kentucky's a bubble team. Alabama beat it by 25-plus points per game. And so to wrap up in conclusion, I think we have to start talking about it. And I think there's an important element here that not enough people really talk about. Oftentimes, now there are years like the 2015 Kentucky Wildcats. You can see it in real time. You can see in real time, oh, this is like something potentially special. Now, we all know how 2015 ended for Kentucky. I don't mean to make everybody cringe. But I also think there are years where there are teams that are great that are, what do they say? They're, they're, they're right under our nose and we don't realize it. I'll give you an example. 2018, Villanova. That was the year that they steamrolled everybody in the NCAA tournament. But during the season, there wasn't, I remember, there wasn't a huge groundswell of this team has the potential to be historically great. Then they go to the tournament and they start destroying people. They start destroying people. Um, They win the national championship game by 15, 18, 20 points against Michigan. They win the semifinal against Kansas by like 30. And you look up, you say, oh, that's really, that team is really good. And then they had four players drafted in like the, thir- the first 35 or so picks in the NBA draft the following spring. So I just bring it up to say, sometimes we don't realize in real time how good a team is. Now I want to make one thing clear. I think they have the potential to be. They're not there yet. Regular season's not done. SEC tournament's not done. National championship is not done. And I do have one concern about this team, and it is the youth of this team. As four of their top six guys are, are freshmen, and then you throw in Namari Burnett, really talented transfer from Texas Tech. None of those guys have ever played in an NCAA tournament. So I'm not sitting here saying it's definitive, the whatever. What I will say is I believe that on today, December, uh, February 13th, 2023, I believe at their best, they're the best team in college basketball. But what I will also say is I think we could look up in the spring and they have a chance to do something really, really, really special. Obviously, look, they're on the verge of the first final, uh, the first number one seed in Alabama basketball history. I think we could have a scenario where they're competing for the first ever Final Four berth and national title berth in college and in Alabama history as well. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too it's a thing and now the truth is out there i can tell you about my favorite place to have fun chumba casino they have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week you can play for free anytime anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses so join me in the fun sign up now at chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary btw void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus all right let's get to some of the other results from the weekend um and let me start with a sentence that I don't think has ever been uttered here on the Eratora Sports Podcast, that sentence was this. If you talk about biggest results, and this isn't the sentence, but you get the point. Give me a second here, okay? If you talk about biggest results, most impactful results, and maybe biggest storylines coming out of the weekend, I don't think there was a bigger one than what happened in Charlottesville, North Carolina, Duke, and Virginia. 
And let me not get to the, let me not beat around the bush. Let me get to the punchline because this is the sentence that has never been said before here on the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Duke got screwed by the refs. Oh, Duke got screwed by the refs and a potential win, potentially their biggest win of the season was taken right under from them. And we got a ref fiasco in Charlottesville. And I'll try not to get too in the weeds on this, but this is really important. And it speaks to one of the things that drives me crazy, which is not only poor refereeing, but refereeing uh, instant replay and getting instant replay stuff wrong. So let me set the scene. Big game, fun game, Duke at Virginia. And this was kind of a big one for Duke. Now, they're not on the NCAA tournament bubble like North Carolina or Kentucky, who we're going to get into in a minute. But when it comes to Duke, here's the bottom line, okay? They're not playing well. They have not played well, especially on the road. I was actually surprised to see they were only a six-point underdog in the Betfred Sportsbook. Well, fast forward to Saturday, and they played maybe their best effort of the season relative to competition. They were down late. They rally. It is a tie game, and they have the ball on the sideline right underneath their, not underneath their basket, but to the side of their basket with about 1.8 seconds left. Tie game, remember that. That's important. It's a tie game. Ball gets inbounded to Kyle Filipowski, their star freshman. Filipowski drives to the rim. Filipowski goes up for the layup as the buzzer is just about to sound, and he gets smacked on the arm. I mean, it was an aggressive, egregious foul, and the foul is called, and we believe that Duke is going to go to the foul line with two foul shots for the chance to win the game. Just one problem. Refs go to the monitor. Refs determine that the foul itself actually happened after the buzzer sounded and the clock hit zero. So there is no foul. The game goes to overtime. And Duke ends up losing in overtime, taking what should have been a signature victory away from them. Because if it was in regulation, if the foul was called, um, if the foul was called, Duke goes to the line to potentially make one of two foul shots and they win the game. Doesn't guarantee a win. That's important to note. But the likelihood of Kyle Filipowski, a good foul shooter, making one of two is pretty, pretty, pretty good. So that was the result. In real time, it looked like a foul. And as the night wore on, we started to realize how egregious this was. One, like anything else on social media, the replays start to go out. People start to subruder film it. You take clips here, a screenshot there, blah, 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 this and that. And there was really no angle that it did not look like the foul was called or committed. I should say committed and then called before the game went final. Well, you know who agreed with that? Unfortunately for the referees, the ACC offices agreed with that because at about, I want to say maybe 1130, 11 o'clock Eastern or so, the ACC actually put out a statement. It says the Atlantic Coast Conference, upon review of the final play of regulation during the Duke at Virginia men's basketball game, has announced an incorrect adjudication. Sorry if I said that word wrong of the playing rules. A foul was called on Virginia during a shot attempt by Duke's Kyle Filipowski as time expired. Upon the official's review of the play, it was determined that the foul committed occurred after the clock reached zero. However, and this is important, the play should have resulted in two free throws for Duke. So the question is why? Well, per Rule 5, Section 7, Article 3C of the NCAA rulebook, while a foul occurred after the expiration of play, the ball was still in flight. Thus, the student athlete should have been granted two free throw attempts. The article states, blah, 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 this and that. 
But what the refs, what the, the ACC basically said, the refs got the call wrong. And here's the most important thing, something that should have been obvious, okay? What the ACC basically said is that according to the rule book, according to the rule book, it doesn't matter when the foul is committed if the ball is already in air. Why is that important? Well, just think about the most basic rule that everybody understands about college basketball. What do we love about college basketball? The NCAA tournament and buzzer beaters, okay? Well, we all know that if the shot is off before the clock hits zero, the, the shot counts even if the bu- if the buzzer has sounded before the shot goes in. So obviously, to anyone with a functioning brain, it would be the same with a foul. If the ball is in the air and a foul is committed, if the shot is going to count if it goes in, of course a foul is going to count. So this is what it goes down to, and this is what we'll get into, and I won't spend too much time on it, whatever. If we're going to use instant replay, we have to get it right. This is my number one pet peeve, and I'll say this. I heard John Gruden say this many years ago. John Gruden, the NFL head coach, we all know what happened with him, no longer with the Las Vegas Raiders. But John Gruden, when he was on Monday Night Football, he goes, I think we just get rid of all instant replay because we're always trying to tweak it. We're always trying to adjust it. Some calls are reviewable. Some calls are not. It's like either everything should be reviewable or nothing should be reviewable. But more importantly, if we're going to review stuff, you got to get it right. And that's my issue here. Now, I, I know what most of you thought when you saw this because I got this comment quite a bit. Oh, Duke was due for this. 500 more calls and we'll be even for all the calls that Duke has gotten through the years. And I get it. I really do. And I would also add on top of that, not only do I get that part, I also think, by the way, if Coach K is still the head coach at Duke, there's no way that call gets made the way that it does, but it just leads to the point. If we're going to have instant replay, I don't care if it's Duke or Carolina or the smallest school at at D3. If we're going to have instant replay, we got to get it right. And so to me, it does fall on the refs. Now, listen, there, there's been all sorts of, of fan interactions with refs and all that stuff. So I'm not saying, you know, the refs should be physically punished for it. But at the same time, this goes to another thing that I've said. And I've said this many times. I've said it many times. Is that I believe if I could change one thing about college basketball or one thing about sports, sports in general, this is what I would change. I believe that if the coaches have to face the media after a tough game. And if players, especially in college, 18, 19 years old, have to face the media after tough games, I think it's time that we start putting the refs in front of the media after games. Now, listen, bottom line, 99% of the time, it would not matter. But it would also, I believe, mitigate situations like this. Imagine if the refs had to go to the media and the media had the rule. Like, like I do think it probably changes the call. I'll say this. I think if refs had to answer the media, I think games would be called a lot more evenly. We probably wouldn't see as many foul calls. I go back to that Arkansas-Missouri game with 56 foul shots in that game, 56 fouls in a 40-minute basketball game. You think if if you had to go to the media after and answer tough questions, you think you're going to call 56 fouls, and maybe I'm going off on a tangent and it's too far, whatever, blah, 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 blah. But I I do wonder, because I do think sometimes refs make safe calls so they don't have to make controversial ones. And this is one I'm just wondering. I'm not saying, and the refs will never admit it, but at the same time, think about it. Do you think that the refs at all consider that this is kind of our get-out-of-jail-free card with this Duke foul? Do you think that they sat there and said, 
it was right at the cusp and maybe to play it safe and bubble because they saw the same replays we did. They were able to stop it in real time like we were. And so these are my two complaints about replay. If you're going to have replay, you got to get it right. And two, I do wonder if the refs having to go to the media after the game, I think 99% of games, it wouldn't even be an issue. It wouldn't even be a talking point. But I wonder on a day like Saturday if it would have changed some things. So that was just my quick thought on Duke, Duke, Virginia. The refs blew it. I know we got to get about 99,000 other calls to even things out for Duke through the years, but they blew that one. All right, let's switch gears, get to some other results. I think the other major, major, major result. Kentucky lost to Georgia. The Kentucky Wildcats lost to Georgia. Final score in this one. Uh, It was a weird game, by the way, but Kentucky loses at Georgia. Uh, Kentucky lost in uh, in Stegman Coliseum. Final score of this one, if I can pull it up, because I do think the final score is a little bit important here. But the final score is 75 to 68. It is obviously Kentucky's second straight loss. They lost to Arkansas at home on Tuesday. And with it, this is an important result now. This is an important result. With it, Kentucky is now on the wrong side of the bubble, according to Joe Lenardi. Joe Lenardi said that if Kentucky lost this game, they were in now, they were in the last four in after the Kentucky after the Arkansas loss. They are now officially out of the field of 68. And so with it, I want to break this down. I want to talk about it. But I will reiterate what I said last week. A few weeks ago, I made the determination that I will never call for John Calipari's job on this show again for the simple reason that I do think, you know, listen, we can talk about who other candidates would be this and that. John Calipari still puts you in great position every year to win at the highest level. And I think it's interesting specifically next year to discuss that. So we'll get into it in a minute. But before we do, I I do want to talk about the game really quickly. And what I would say about the game on Saturday, it was an interesting game. It was an interesting game coming in and it may be an interesting game for the future Because we found out right before tip-off that Kentucky was without a key player in guard, C.J. Frederick. Now, C.J. Frederick's been kind of up and down. He hasn't been great, but he's a fourth-year college player. He is an important piece to what they do. He is a very good three-point shooter, shooting 34% on the season uh, and averaging just under eight points per game. So we find out right before tip-off that C.J. Frederick isn't going to play. Then we find out right before tip-off that Severe Wheeler also is not going to play. He's been out for a couple games. So I do think that is important, and I would contextualize by saying, I think it played a big role in this game, and let me explain why. With those two out, you basically have two SEC-caliber guards on your roster. No disrespect to the kid, Adu Thiero, freshman, project, you know, a, 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 a project, I guess you would say, as far as a player. He's not ready for the SEC. Every time I say anything, Kentucky fans get, oh, he plays so hard. He can't dribble. Every time he grabs the ball, he he's fumbling, like, whatever. Without those two guys, you have two SEC-caliber guards, and I think we saw on Saturday the impact that that can have. Cason Walls, Kentucky's best player, goes down, and he is their best player, by the way, better than Oscar Sheboy. He goes out with two early fouls, and I think that was actually John Calipari's big mistake. If I was critical of John Calipari with one, th- with one thing, it was that he never brought K- – he did, like – John Calipari did like the old school coaching thing of when you get two fouls in the first half, you go to the bench and you stay there. I think in 2023, especially with shortened benches, especially in the transfer portal era, we now have the analytics. 
it doesn't make sense to send a guy to the bench with two fouls for the entire first half, especially a guard, by the way. It's one thing if it's a big man, one thing if it's a guy down low banging bodies, but a guard, it doesn't make sense. So Calipari sends Cason Wallace to the bench. And when he does, Georgia goes on a run. Georgia goes up 10 at halftime, and it was unbelievable. Once Cason Wallace came back in the game, Kentucky made a run. Now, Cason Wallace didn't even play well. This was maybe his worst game of the season, to be honest. But having him in, running the show, it completely changed everything that Kentucky did. So that was my biggest criticism of John Calipari from this game and for this loss. I don't love the... You're now down two starting caliber guards in the SEC or SEC caliber guards. You can't send guys to the bench for 14-minute stretches and expect to survive. Well, what happens? Kaysen Wallace comes in. Kentucky takes a lead. Kentucky's up 52-48. Kentucky eventually melts down, down the stretch. They do not win. And with it, and this is important, they are now on the outside looking in of the NCAA tournament picture. Now, two things on Kentucky. One, I am going to stand. I'm drawing my line in the sand, and I'm going to stand with what I said after the Arkansas loss a few nights ago. I still think Kentucky is going to make the NCAA tournament, but I will readily admit that there's a little bit to a caveat to it. I kind of need to know like what their health status is. And by the way, this goes back to something I said in the preseason. In the preseason, I had Kentucky ranked a little bit lower than most of the media. Now, it wasn't super low. I think I had them maybe 8 or 9, 10, 11, but I think they started top five in most places. And one thing I explicitly said, I said two of your most important players, Severe Wheeler and C.J. Frederick, have a history of always being injured. Now, I understand the C.J. Frederick thing was a freak thing, uh, you know, got, got fouled and fell into a camera. So I get that that was a freak thing. But you have two guys with a history of injury. I can't count on them for a 40-game college basketball season. And so I bring it up because I still think Kentucky's probably going to make the NCAA tournament. There's plenty of opportunities available in front of them. And outside of Alabama, who they do not play, they can win any of them. They play Tennessee next weekend. They've already beaten Tennessee. If Cason Wall stays out of foul trouble, I think they might be favored. I think they should win that game. Auburn's at home. Arkansas on the road. Mississippi State just won at Arkansas on Saturday, so you can't tell me that Kentucky can't go to Bud Walton and get that win. But I don't think it's a guarantee when you only have two SEC caliber guards on the roster. And it'll be interesting down the stretch. And it would be interesting to see what the scenario would be like if Kentucky did not make the tournament this year. Now, to me, I, I, I still feel like, it, one, Kentucky can't get out of John Calipari's contract. Um, two, it feels like it would be a Jimbo Fisher thing. How do you restructure? How do you do this? How do you do that? But let me wrap by saying this. I said a few weeks ago, I will never call for John Calipari's job again. Now, admittedly, it was when they were playing pretty well. They had won about five or six straight at that point. Or I think it was five of seven or something like that. Six of seven. But I bring it up because next year is kind of the year. You have the number one recruiting class coming in. Headlined by maybe the number one player in DJ Wagner. And here's the interesting thing about next year, by the way. The pieces that could return actually are very nice complimentary pieces. So Oscar Sheepway, I think we all believe is going to leave. Um, Cason Wallace is definitely gone. He's a pro, no doubt about it. Jacob Toppin's probably not going to be back. Whatever. I'm just trying to think off the top of my head. But you think about some of those guys that are going to be back. CJ Frederick is a fifth-year guy. He might be back. Antonio Reeves could be back. Chris Livingston, who's playing very well, by the way, could be back. 
Damian Collins, I don't know. Damian Collins might hit that portal because Cal doesn't know what to do with him. I wouldn't blame the kid if he left. But why I bring it up? You keep C.J. Frederick, Antonio Reeves, and Chris Livingston with the players coming in. That is a very, very nice group, but it sets up for a very interesting next year. So one, I still believe Kentucky can make the NCAA tournament if they get back Severe Wheeler and C.J. Frederick at some point. I don't think it's a guarantee anymore, but I'll also say I'm not calling for Calipari's job because one, you're not getting out of that contract. You got to make it work. And on top of that, and I do think this is important, the other element is the fact that um, you're not getting out of it regardless but I'm also just curious to see next year's team. I can understand a Kentucky fan that's saying it's not getting better next year. We've seen what he's done with talent this year. It's not getting any better. I get all that. I'm just telling you, point blank end of story. Um, you know, I'm not calling for his job anymore on this show. couple other results from the weekend. One, did you see the Purdue lost on Sunday? Now it was Super Bowl Sunday. So you can be forgiven if you missed this one. But Purdue went to Northwestern. How about those Northwestern Wildcats? Chris Collins very much on the hot seat coming into this year. Northwestern at home rallies to beat Purdue 64-58. First of all, congrats to Northwestern. They're now 18-7, 9-5. Barring a complete collapse, and admittedly, in the, in the Big Ten, that can happen. There's a lot of tough teams in the Big Ten. Northwestern's only going to the second NCAA tournament in school history, so good for them. Story here is Purdue, but I've said from the beginning, I I think Purdue's very good. I don't think there's a lot separating Purdue from Alabama, from Texas, from Baylor, from some of the really good Big 12 teams, from UCLA who won again on Sunday, on Saturday night. So it's hard for me to like, oh, this means this for Purdue. I don't think they're the best team in the country. I think they're somewhere between probably three and eight, three and nine. So I can't get worked up about it. Congrats to Northwestern. Purdue gets the loss. I'm telling you, outside of Zach Eady, there's a lot of questions. Zach Eady in this game, again, their star big man, was awesome. 24 points, 8 rebounds, 3 blocks. What do you get from the guards? Braden Smith, 1 for 7 from the field. Foster Lawyer, 1 for 6 from the field. That's your starting backcourt. Went 2 for 13. That's not winning games in March. And I'm not surprised by this because I don't think Purdue is that good. A couple of the results I do want to get to. One, Creighton wins a rock fight against UConn. They win by a few. Disappointing loss for UConn because UConn could have won that game. But to me, the story is Creighton. Let me just say this. I don't know if it'll make this week's Aaron right, Aaron wrong. But I try to tell you about Creighton because in November and December, they lost six straight games. and Oh, they were so overrated. And I was one of the people that loved them in the preseason. And I told you, stay calm. First off, two of the losses, Arizona and Maui, and then they played at Texas when Texas was playing really well and is playing really well. And two of the other losses, and the next four losses came without their starting center, Ryan Kalkbrenner. Well, since Ryan Kalkbrenner has been back, they've now won eight straight games, and they have won 11 of 13 overall. And how about this? We have spent so much time talking about all these teams in the Big East, Xavier, Providence, UConn, Marquette, Creighton is now a half a game back. They're 11 and 3. Marquette is 12 and 3 atop the league standings. Creighton's a really good basketball team. They have a chance to do real damage in March. They are excellent. Couple other results. I do want to give some credit to UCLA. UCLA's playing really good basketball, man. They're now 21 and 4. 
They've won four straight, swept the Washington schools, the Oregon schools. And I'll tell you this, Oregon basketball had been playing really good. To go on the road and get that win, we should not undersell it. What stands out to me about this UCLA team, really good defensively. And they have they have the scores now. Jaime Hawkins, Jalen Clark, Amari Bailey at 24 points on Thursday. He, he got banged up on Saturday night. If he stays healthy, he is the guy to watch out for. He is the X factor for UCLA, but UCLA gets the win. Uh, Tennessee gets the loss. Let me say this lastly about Tennessee, and then we'll wrap up the show because I do want to get out of here. I thought Tennessee social media did something very smart and very cool this weekend, okay? So let me tell you, Tennessee basketball, they lost at the buzzer to Missouri. Here is what the Tennessee basketball social media account put out on Sunday. They said, we know. It's been a weird couple weeks. Remember, Tennessee lost at the buzzer to Vanderbilt on Wednesday, and then they lost at the buzzer to Missouri on Saturday. Tennessee says, we know it's been a weird couple weeks. Sports really do be like that sometimes. I like how they're even tweeting the way that we talk as human beings. But last night's second half effort, that was Tennessee basketball. And the second half Thompson Bowling Arena atmosphere, that was what Vol Nation is all about. So stick with us. Keep showing up. We'll meet you there. I just give credit to Tennessee basketball. That is an incredible self-awareness of how the fan base feels. Two buzzer beaters, the team struggling offensively, the fan base is getting restless. You've lost in the tournament a few times earlier than expected. That is self-awareness from Tennessee basketball. I give them credit. Um, and I think that that's really it for today's Aaron Torres pod. Before we get out of here, I want to remind everybody, make sure you're subscribed to Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music. Wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure that you are subscribed. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that good stuff. Make sure you're following me on social media at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram. All of the Torres on social media accounts, Torres on Bama, Torres on UK, Torres on the Hogs, Torres on the Vols, Torres on UConn, Torres on Arizona, on and on and on and on and on. That said, I think it's time for me to get out of here. I'm actually recording this basketball segment before the Super Bowl. So I'm talking to you from the past and the future because I'm recording before the Super Bowl, but I obviously did the Super Bowl segment before. So I hope that all of you enjoyed Super Bowl Sunday. Time for me to get out of here. That is all for today's show. Shout out to Torn Craig. Rachel, who hates my voice, shout out to her too. Shout out to JJ Reddick. You F had unblocked me, bro. I'll be back Wednesday. New episode, Aaron Torres. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you Lucky. 
Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.